0: Bokotov, good morning, welcome to uh, an Aliyah day during this festival of uh, Pesach, the feast of Matzah, and of course today being the festival of first fruits, glad that you're with us, Baruch Hashem. and it's going to be an amazing week, uh, a wonderful week. We're going to have uh, five aliyot today, as it were, as we're looking at the the various readings for the for each day of Kol Hamod Pesach, the intermediate days of Pesach, and then on uh, Viernes, on Friday, we are going to have the uh, Akronon Shel Pesach, the seventh or the final day of Passover, and then. Uh, it's going to be a fun-filled day. So the seventh day, seventh day of Pesach, we have back-to-back uh, Sabbath, back-to-back uh, Shabbats, uh, Yom Tov, followed by Shabbat. Friday, uh, the sixth day of the week, is going to be the seventh day of Pesach, and the focus of that day is the parting of the Red Sea. So right now, we have left Egypt, we've uh, counted the Omer, which is going to be continuing for the next uh, 49 days. We're on our way to crossing the Red Sea and watching uh, death being swallowed up in victory. And so it's going to be an amazing day. Now on Friday afternoon, after Minka, at about 6.30 Central Standard Time, if you're here in Tejas, we are going to have the uh, meal of Mashiach. And with God's help, I will have a little handout to publish uh, for everybody to be able to have the Meal of Mashiach. It's a very simple but very powerful uh, meal to uh, commemorate the final uh, day of Pesach, and uh, more importantly, uh, to commemorate that we're waiting for the final redemption. May it be soon in our lifetime. So, welcome from all over the globe, wherever you are watching from. We welcome you. Glad that you are here. Pray that you've had a blessed holiday thus far, and that it continues. Today's reading for the second day of Pesach comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 22, beginning in verse 26, uh, all the way through chapter 23 and verse 44, basically covering the entirety of uh, the festivals um, to begin with, uh, the festival of of Shabbat, Shabbat being the very first festival, every single week God gives us a feast. He gives us a, an appointed time, and then of course we have different Shabbaton throughout the year. I want to be. I want to read here in uh, Leviticus chapter 22. This is in Parashah and more. Uh, if you're on the, uh, if you have the article Humash, it's on page 681. This week we're going to focus as best we can on these readings and. Um, concepts related to elevation. How do we elevate our life? Because we are, we have just embarked on a spiritual journey. You know, this is a very important concept What I'm about to say here because people have different ideas they've been taught about when it comes to religion or whatever. For most people, um, when it comes to religion, faith is the destination. That uh, once somebody becomes a believer, that's it. I mean, mission accomplished. You know, now you can go on to the next thing in life. You can go to college, you can get a career, uh, You can find your spouse, uh, have children. Uh, you've already checked the box of faith because faith is the destination. <clears throat> that is true for a lot of religions uh, with the exception of biblical religion. So biblically, faith is the beginning of a journey. It is not the destination point. It's not a box to be checked. It's a life to be lived. And so when it comes to Pesach, we had the Seder. And uh, I know that the Seder, in a lot of ways, uh, for some people say, it lasted a long time. And for me, it kind of went by kind of fast. Uh, And I'm not just saying that just to be, just to sound righteous or whatever. Uh, I just, it just seems short. Uh, but that's beside the point. So the issue is is that once we have sat down to the, the Seder and we've enjoyed Pesach and we've experienced redemption, we've experienced freedom from spiritual slavery, my friends, that's just the beginning of the journey. The counting of the Omer represents our efforts, obviously relying on God's help and God's power, to elevate ourselves from the spiritual contamination of Mitzrayim, of Egypt, in and, and, and order to partake, in order to um, to take hold of God's perfect will for our life, this whole process we're talking about is 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 really the the, the walk of life. Faith is just the beginning. Believing in God, believing in the Messiah, uh, accepting His atonement for our life is uh, we've only just begun. To quote from the song, we've only just begun. It's it's not the destination, and I want to make that clear, because for so many people, that is the case. We have to continually elevate our lives. And so, chapter 22 and verse 26, before, there's a few verses here, before we get into verse, or excuse me, chapter 23, chapter 23 is, of course, as I said, all about the festivals. It's a wonderful chapter. We're not going to read all of it for the sake of time, but... Um, but I want to read these first few verses because it teaches us something important. It says in verse 26, Adonai spoke to Moshe saying, When an ox or a sheep or goat is born, it shall remain under its mother for seven days, and from the eighth day on it is acceptable for a fire offering to Adonai. So the animal that is worthy to go upon the altar becomes eligible to be a sacrifice on the 8th day. This is one of the reasons why we circumcise our boys on the 8th day. Because it's at the 8th day that they become eligible to become a living sacrifice for Hashem. Moreover, it's interesting to note that uh, when you have a child, a boy, who's born, no matter what point they're born during the week, if you circumcise them on the eighth day, it ensures that every single child gets to enjoy a Shabbat prior to their circumcision. Um, and there's a lot of uh, talk and, and, and mystery about that. But verse 28 says, But an ox or a sheep or goat, you may not slaughter it is it, you may not, not slaughter it and its offspring on the same day. When you slaughter a feast thanksgiving offering to Adonai... You shall slaughter it to gain favor for yourselves. It must be eaten on that same day. You shall not leave any of it until morning. I am Adonai. You shall observe my commandments and perform them. I am Adonai. You shall not desecrate. This is the part I wanted to get to. This is uh, go, counting the omer is an opportunity for us to go through a spiritual refinement. And there's many points on the on the Jewish calendar in which we experience teshuva. We experience the opportunity to make teshuvah. Of course, we have the 40 days of teshuvah leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Then we have the uh, included in those 40 days is the days of Ah the Yamim Noraim, and then we have, um, of course, the first the first of those days, those Yamim Noraim, is Rosh Hashanah itself, which is a a judgment day, a type of. Of, um, of uh, spiritual examination. And then we have, of course, Yom Kippur, which is blow your mind, teshuva all day long. And then we have Hanukkah, which is about rededication. So again, a point of teshuva. Purim, we're re-accepting the, the Torah uh, anew and thanking God for our deliverance. Another point of of teshuva and then of course we circle back to pesach not to mention every single day we're making teshuva at Minka time we have the tankuna prayer unless it's the month of nisan and so on and on and on god is is uh, giving us opportunities to make teshuva why because we don't have to wait about we don't have to wait for one day a year thank god for that who who, who can go all year right but the counting of the omer is an opportunity to uh, elevate our lives, and the focus of this, like the the purpose of our existence, is to sanctify God's name. When it really comes down to it, that's the purpose. Our purpose is to come into this world. Like I mentioned in the drash yesterday, we're like commandos, doing a high altitude halo jump from uh, Shemayim, coming into this world, and the purpose of us coming here is to do battle against the Yetzirah to elevate God's name and to bring light into the world. We are warriors of light. We are commandos of light. And so it says in verse 32, You shall not desecrate my holy name. Rather, I shall be sanctified among the children of Israel. I am Adonai who sanctifies you, who took you out of the land of Egypt to be a god with you. I am Adonai. So verse 33 kind of, provides a qualifier of why we are called to sanctify God's name. Why? Because we've been brought out of Mitzrayim. And he puts his His stamp on it. The, the, uh, when it says, Ani Aronai, this is a way that God puts an exclamation mark on various points of Torah law. I am Aronai, Which happens to be another point of Torah law where that's done is the separation of meat and, and dairy. But that's That's an aside. So it says here in the the footnotes, or the comments rather, of the school Humash, talking about the desecration and sanctification of God's name. It says the primary privilege, this is our main purpose in life. This is what we have to understand. This is our main purpose in life. The primary privilege and responsibility of every Jew, great or small, is to sanctify God's name through his behavior. Notice it says every Jew. Why? Because a Jew is one who's in covenant. It didn't say every Noahide. It didn't say every Messianic Gentile. It said every Jew. It says great or small, this is our responsibility. Our responsibility is to sanctify God's name through his his behavior, whether among Jews or among Gentiles, by studying Torah, performing the commandments, and by treating others kindly, Considerately and honestly, so that people say of him, Fortunate are the parents and teachers who raised such a person. Conversely, there is no greater degradation for a Jew than to act in a way in which will make people say the opposite. Yoma 86a. So, sanctification of God's name by the way in which we act is our highest purpose. It is our most important duty. And when we do things which bring desecration to God's name, we are doing that which uh is probably the worst thing that we can do. And this is just a reminder, of, and again, I I didn't mention it, maybe I did a second ago, but this comes from Yoma 86A in the Talmud. So We are called to to sanctify God's name. This is why Yeshua said about his Talmudim, they will know you by your love. And of course, love is defined by Torah. It's not defined by us. You know, homosexual love is not love, right? Uh, It says here that love is being kind, considerate, honest, treating people fairly, etc., and and doing uh, using just weights and measures is love not speaking lashan Hara is love not uh stealing is love but you know that so we don't need to go into all that so here it says the this verse is the general commandment to give up one's life in order to sanctify God's name when the halakha requires it very key point when the halakha requires it when does the halakha require us to die in order to sanctify God's name? The answer is when dealing with, with, with one of three sins. Idolatry, adultery, and murder. Those three sins are so serious that under any circumstance in which we are presented with those sins, we must die. However, if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, eat this ham sandwich, chas you should eat this ham sandwich. Why? Because your life is more valuable than that. However, if the person holds a gun to your head and says, bow down to this image, Shalom, you should take the bullet. Because as I said in the drash yesterday, um, or I alluded to it anyway, that idolatry is really the principal sin. And so this is one of the reasons why it was so important for us to crucify the Mashiach. Because we put our faith in man. Um, we put our faith in man. This was the ultimate sin of, of Adam, remember? The, the serpent said, uh, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Man wants to be like God. So we had to crucify man. So it says, uh, but one can sanctify God's name in mundane situations as well. If someone sins merely because God's will does not matter to him, he has desecrated the name. Wow. Remember, desecration of the name is, is a very serious sin. So if we just say, hey, I know that uh, God would rather me not do this or do that, but I don't really care. I don't care that God's word says it. Um, I'm going to do it anyway. That is also a desecration of God's name. And it says here, if he does so before 10 Jews, which 10 Jews represent a congregation, he has committed a far more serious sin of desecrating God's name in public. Conversely, if someone withdraws from sin or performs a a commandment, not because of money, pressure, or honor, but solely because it's God's will then he has sanctified the name of God. And of course, that should be our motivation always, right? We should want to do God's will only because it's God's will. This is what it means when it says things like um, that we should study the Torah for the Torah's sake. Meaning we should do it because it is. Not because we're trying to accomplish something Not because we're trying to gain favor. Not because we're being pressured to do so. But we should do so because it's the right thing to do. So when we do that, we sanctify God's name. It says, Of a person who obeys the Torah and whose general behavior brings credit to his Jewishness, God says in Isaiah 49.3, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I take pride. It says here, if a Jew is faced with a situation where he is required to give up his life and sanctification of the name, he should do so without expecting a miracle to happen. Rather, he should act as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did in Daniel 3:17 through 18 When Nebuchadnezzar threatened to have them hurled into a furnace, unless they bowed to his statue, they answered that God was surely capable of saving them. They did not know that he would, but they were prepared to let themselves be burnt to death rather than transgress. That has to be the, um, I believe, the overall uh, feeling of our life. We would rather be burnt to death than to, to transgress God's will. Another uh, another comment here from the art school. It says, You shall not desecrate... Desecration of the name, it says, is the most serious of all sins and the one for which it is most difficult to atone. Again, quoting from Yoma 86a, it says, If one has transgressed, one must attempt to sanctify the name in a manner similar to his sin. One who slanders others should study Torah using his gift of speech to utter the sacred words. One who uses eyes to gaze upon that which is forbidden should weep. And one who committed bunches of sins should perform bunches. (laughs) I just love that. Bunches of mitzvot. So, so, um, we have a situation here in which counting of the omer, bringing us back to the counting of the omer, is such a wonderful opportunity because we have bunches of mitzvot that we can perform in addition to uh, all the other mitzvot that we do throughout the holidays. Um, for instance, this coming Friday is a is a Yom Tov, it's a Sabbath. You participating in the Shabbat, uh, taking off work, coming to the shul, etc. Um, th- those are all mitzvot. In fact, can I just say that, and I know we've, we've talked about this before, but just as a reminder, a lot of times we think about mitzvot and big mitzvahs, right? Um, we think about uh, visiting the sick maybe, uh, donning tefillin, saying our prayers, maybe saying the Shema or whatever. These are big mitzvahs. But you should know that we rack up mitzvahs every day. A man wakes up, he puts on his talit katan, he puts on his tzitzit, and he's performed a mitzvah. A woman uh, who's married gets up and uh, dresses modestly, puts on her tekel to go out shopping or whatever. That's a mitzvah. You walk past the doorway. There's a mezuzah on the door. You put your fingers to the sheen. You kiss and give God glory. That's a mitzvah. Uh, Saying uh, being kind to somebody is a mitzvah. Being honest is a mitzvah. You go to the store. You realize that uh, you left a can of corn in your bag or whatever. or The cashier didn't ring it up for some reason. And so you take it back and say, you didn't ring me up for this. I owe you a, a dollar, 60 cents, whatever it is. They look at you astonished, like, really? You brought that back? Of course. It's a mitzvah. The point is, everything is a mitzvah, right? You fix dinner for your family. It's a kosher dinner. You do it all, every, di- every, every day, right? You do every day. You, you fix dinner. Of course it's kosher. What, you're going to fix something not kosher? You know, what you don't understand is that every dinner you fix, it's kosher as a mitzvah. Because you have the ability not to fix a kosher dinner, right? You do. You have the ability to, God forbid, put something not kosher in the meal, but you've chosen to make a kosher meal. You say, well, I'm a Jew. Of course I'm going to make a kosher meal. I know, but it's a mitzvah. Every time you do it, eating matzah for Pesach, it's a mitzvah. And then add to that the counting of the omer every single night from now until Shavuos. It's a mitzvah. I'm just trying to tell you you're racking him up. It's wonderful. It's 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 better than Candy Crush. It's Torah Crush. Right? It's matzah matzah Crush. All right. I want to say something here about the counting. We're going to be talking about the omer here probably to the end of the uh, time together and then into tomorrow, because there's a lot to share about this particular mitzvah, I want to begin um by looking at chapter twenty three of the of Leviticus and reading uh verse eleven, talking about the waving of the Omer, which historically happened today, the sixteenth of Nisan in the temple. And of, of course, Mashiach Yeshua was that Omer who came out from the tomb. He is the first fruits, right? Doesn't always it does not always happen on a s on a first day of the week. Just so happens that that was the case then. Um, so there's no such thing as resurrection Sunday. Uh, that's you know uh, made up. But we're talking here about the 16th of Nisan. So it says here he shall wave the Omer before Adonai to gain favor for you. On the morrow of the rest day, the Kohen shall wave it. Now, if you people venture in, I'm sure you have. This is why I wrote a nine-page article on why we count from the 16th of Nisan. It's part of the, uh, the Halakha uh, book, manual, whatever. Because when you get to uh Gentile groups like Hebrew Roots groups and others, all made up of Gentiles, every one of them. i just point that out. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just an important fact, right? Because you're not studying Jewish sources, so everything you're, you bring into the table comes from um, foreign sources. And they say that uh, we should always count from the Sunday, right? I want to share with you this insight from the article because you have to understand there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun, okay? There's always going to be that um, that evil spiritual force that's going to work very hard to get us off of God's calendar because, look, God sanctifies time. Uh, God, say it with me, God sanctifies time, okay? We don't. So we can't take time and say, I hereby sanctify this. We have to let God sanctify time. Therefore, when the evil forces uh, confuse us and we get lifted up in our pride and our own arrogance because we can't even read Hebrew, but now we're going to um, tell everybody uh, where the Hebrew is right or wrong, then that's pride, And, and then we're going to get us off of God's sanctified time calendar and now we're sanctifying our own time which is not sanctified time at all it's just nonsense but again there's nothing new under the sun okay not trying to be harsh but i am trying to be poignant so it says here in verse 11 me maharat hashabat on the morrow of the rest day the morrow of the rest the, excuse me the morrow of the first day of Pesach, which is called a rest day because ordinary workers forbidden on it Although the word Shabbat ordinarily refers to the Sabbath, this cannot be the case here. Why? Because the verse does not specify which of the 52 Shabbats is meant. This term became one of the major points of controversy between the sages and the heretical Balthusians. Balthusians are related to the Sadducees. They interpreted the term literally as referring to the Sabbath, thus claiming that the Omer had to be brought on a Sunday, the morrow of the Sabbath, Menachot 65a. Now, what you've just heard is that there's nothing new under the sun. The bothusians, how do you say that again? I'm sorry, bothusians, slika. The bothusians, who are related to the Sadducees, uh, have said, "Oh, you got to count from the Sunday as well." Now, you have to understand something. That the sages taught about these groups, these these her- heretical groups. They did not believe in the oral law, and so they were sola scriptura only. They were word of God only. Again, nothing new under the sun. And they gave the impression that they were trying to do something very, uh, what's the word, very admirable by following God's word only. Only the written word. No oral word. Of course, we later discover that they, in fact, had their own oral tradition because you have to. You, You cannot live by the word of God only without a world. You just can't. This is why you have people who make up their own holidays or borrow holidays from paganism and try to make them kosher, which is impossible. But they do that. Why? Because you have to have something. And the sages point out that the ultimate goal of the Sadducees, the ultimate goal of the Balthusians, their ultimate purpose was to take people away from God's holy Torah. That was the ultimate purpose. Because they were the ones who were Hellenistic. They were the ones who were sold out to Rome. And let us not forget, they were the ones who sought to crucify the Mashiach. So let's just think about that for a second. The ones who wanted to crucify the Mashiach, who is God's living Torah, are the ones who are trying to get us to count on a different calendar. Okay. Okay. Um, you're very smart, very intelligent people. So, I'm just gonna read this. One more thing about this. This comes from uh, um, who is this? Who am I reading? This is uh, Rabbi Monk, Rabbi Monk, Le Fleu. It says again on the morrow of the rest of the day, that is the morrow after the first day of Pesach. He says again, the use of the word Shabbat to represent the first day of Pesach stirred up much controversy in Talmudic times. The Sadducees, who were ultimately discredited, yes, they were discredited 2,000 years ago, but we still see that same spirit raising its ugly head. The same spirit that crucified the living Torah raising its head trying to get us on a new calendar. I'm just pointing this out. I I want you to be equipped with this. It's important, I think. It says, they understood the word Shabbat in its ordinary meaning and asserted that the Omer was to be offered on the day after the first Sabbath of the festivals. The Pharisees, on the other hand, argued from the context, context is key, that the word Sabbath is to be taken to mean the first day of Pesach itself, which was the 15th of Nisan. Thus, the Omer was to be offered on the 16th of Nisan, from Minnachot 66a, the Talmud. The question remains, why did the Torah use the word Sabbath here, thereby leaving the meaning open to question? Why didn't God just make it plain? Why do we have this uh, word being used, which could be, you know, a point of uh, contention? So B'nai Yisachar answers that Pesach is the one historical festival that is like a Shabbat in that it was determined by heaven rather than by the worthiness of human beings. Thus, the Jewish people in ancient Egypt were redeemed despite their unworthiness. So this is why the first day of Yontom is, is likened to the word Shabbat. Because just like Shabbat was heavenly, or, or ordained, I should say, or spoken forth by God, God ordained Pesach. Why? Because he was He that brought us out on wings of eagles. So we count the Omer from... Um, the 16th of Nisan, and so why do we count the Omer, ultimately? We've established it's from the 16th of Nisan. That's an established fact. Even in my josh yesterday, I mentioned from the book of Joshua why that was the case, and then there's that nine-page article in the Halakha. If you want to read through it, it pretty much um, ends the discussion. But... There's a reason, I just want to conclude with this this morning, of why we're counting to begin with. And I love this insight from verse 15 from Rabbi Monk. It says, you shall count for yourselves for the morrow of the rest day, from the day you bring the omer of the waving, seven weeks they shall be complete. It says similar words are used in the Torah where it says, she shall count for herself. This is used in context of the woman who is counting the days of her nidah. She's required to count seven days of purity. From this, the sages drew an analogy to the people of Israel who needed some time to overcome the contamination that they had contracted by living among the Egyptians. Although a nidah is only required to count seven days, Israel, because of the seriousness of our contamination, We are required to count seven weeks. So we count the Omer, and today being the first day of the Omer, the count continues tonight, and I would encourage you to really strive not to miss any of the days. We're required to count these days. Why? Because we're getting ready to ascend the mountain, and we need to be in a state of purity. More on all of that tomorrow. It's going to get better and better and better with God's help. It'll be better and better and better as... We explain these concepts during Kol HaMohed Pesach. Until tomorrow, have a beautiful day. Have a safe day. Have a joyful day. Eat matzah and enjoy it and like it and love it. And uh, we'll see everybody at that time. Shalom, shalom, and Chag Sameach Pesach.